A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. Never got home, they never got home, they never got home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the up. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, and I'll say it to you now. I'm down to Anfield, and we'll see them up with. What you doing down here, you shawny man? Goals, 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 ghouls even, ghouls galore on the opening weekend. Opening week, I should say, of the 2016-2017 Champions League. Unfortunately, a lot of these ghouls were scored by the biggest clubs with not much coming back in response. Owen and Ken here with the Irish Times Second Games Football Podcast. Hi, Owen, how are you? I'm all right, Ken. I, yeah, you know, I enjoy a good old-fashioned beatdown like anyone else. Mm-hmm. I just think there were so many of them this week that it troubled me. Barcelona 7, Celtic nil. Dortmund 6, Legia, Warsaw nil away from home. Uh-huh. Bullet dodged by Dundalk, perhaps. Well, no. Would have been, uh, I mean, if would you, it's, it's a bit like asking, would you accept 30 million euros yes. to be shot in the leg? No. Come on. What if there, there could be lasting injuries? There's medical personnel on, on, on call. There's, there, you know, I mean, a 6 0 beating in a football match isn't as bad as getting shot in the leg, but what I'm asking you is for, for that much money, would you, would you take it? Nah. Flashy. Fashion. I don't want 30 million, Ken. We've talked about this before, haven't we? Um, I don't want to win the lottery. I don't want a sudden influx of money that's going to change my life. But that's, that's a story for another, uh, okay. another time. Bayern 5, Rostov nil. Uh, yeah, that was a, City, another, another good, good game. City 4, Mönchengladbach nil. Even Leicester. I mean, not that I'm classing Leicester as one of Europe's top clubs, but they're in one of Europe's top leagues yes. and are the champions of that league. They got in on the act stuffing Bruges 3-0 in Belgium. Indeed. What do you make of all this? Is it indicative of the way European football is going? Owen, I haven't seen so many giants gobbling up little ones since the BFG. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's terrifying what's happening yeah. uh, across Europe. Uh, rich, good teams beating um, little ditty teams uh, mercilessly. Even Gladbach, in a way, that's the most disturbing result. They are supposed to be quite good and they're just demolished. City just demolished them, you know? Um... 4-0. I mean, Aguero is playing brilliantly at the moment, obviously. But, yeah, it's it's hard to see why... It's hard to see, really, why people are going to tune in for this. I do wonder about about it. I mean, obviously, we're going to be talking to Gabriel Macardi about the changes that have been made 
Um, and and there, there are changes that have been made which are going to come in, kick in the 2018-19 season. But these are the kinds of changes which will actually increase or the they, they will amplify the existing inequalities. They will reinforce um, the problems that already exist. Um, they make it increasingly untenable for you know, Barcelona to share a competition with a team like Celtic. I mean, sure, they can share the competition. Um, and we'll get to Roy Keane's view on that. <laughs> Roy Keane's got a certain view. Right. Um, but it's, you know... What's the point? What's no, the point it, of going and losing 7-0? No, not Roy Keane. We'll get to Roy Keane, but I, I'm still talking. Well, it's, it's, as, ourselves. it's as though, you know... So it would. Who who really wants to watch that? I suppose it's interesting for Celtic fans to watch their team take on Barcelona, but when it's seven, when it's seven nil, the worst defeat for a champion for a for a previous champion in the history of the competition. No team that's won the competition has managed to lose by that many goals. In the in the Dortmund game, they were three nil up against Legia almost immediately. It was the um it was the fastest any team had ever taken a three nil lead, you know, in the in the Champions League. It was it was like wow, a three three nil away lead. Yeah. Um, so really, it wasn't very competitive. I know it's only week one, but uh, would you be would you be watching much of this? You know, uh, it's sort of, it's it's interesting what's happening. But as I, I mentioned, we'll be talking to to Gabrielle. But you know the the I, I wonder if what the TV ratings are like in the in the UK last season. You know, they the uh, Champions League obviously went over to BT Sports. BT Sports put in this massive bid, like a billion, billion pounds mm-hmm. TV rights deal. Great for the clubs uh, who, who make a lot of money. Um, not so good for the competition, which is now watched by one twentieth as many people. You know, uh, it's just if, if it's on BT Sport, the way things are at the moment, probably the way things will be for a, for a long time yet, I, I dare say. You get a much smaller audience than if it's on ITV. So increasingly, this is like a you know a highly lucrative competition, which is happening sort of out of view. <laughs> it's like people. I'm sure people will kind of make appointments to see the big matches in the in the latter stages, but Champions League group matches. Mm. Um, it's almost particularly in England, I think, where the Premier League is is kind of uh, throwing up good matches every week. Um, and a lot more, much more unpredictable matches. It's almost like, well, what, you know. Yeah, and the changes that were made recently uh, ensure that for, isn't, isn't it from next season? The I think it's the season after se- season after that. The teams who well, essentially, we're going to have more teams from the biggest leagues at the expense of winners of smaller leagues, and also when the weighting of the coefficients is going to be massively in favour. Uh, the the weight the weight attached to previous success. Will have been increased greatly. So teams who qualify well, intru- introduced. Yeah, I mean previously they they it did have a have a certain effect um, in terms of okay basically the, what the what they've changed uh, they've changed two two big things. One is that each of the top four leagues, by which I mean Spain, uh, England, Germany, and Italy, mm. now automatically gets four teams into the group stage. No playoff. Which particularly benefits Italy, who was, who were only getting three teams qualifying, and usually the third team was losing the playoff. That was what was happening with the Italians. So they were really only getting two teams into the into the group stage for the last few years. Um, so that's one that's one change, which obviously benefits the richest clubs in the biggest leagues uh, to start with. The other change is a more interesting one. Um, well, a more more complicated, but but. Um, 
pretty interesting move where what they've done is there's this thing called the UEFA coefficient, which was which used to be based on your club's performance over the last five seasons. Uh, and there was also a certain weighting given to your uh, performance depending on which country you came from. So if you came from a strong league like Spain, you got a bigger bonus than if you came from... Now, they've done away with the league bonus. What they've done instead is brought in bonuses for winning European competitions in the past. So that if you're... Um, IX. I, I, I don't know why IX are jumping it out at me, but well, probably for obvious reasons. Well, that was the one I was. That was actually the one I was <laughs> going to say. But IX, you know, IX have won four uh, European Cups, uh, four four European Champions Cups. They've also won. Uh, they've certainly won the UEFA Cup at least once. I'm not quite sure whether they won the Cup Winners Cup, but they, um, they they will they will gain a lot from this. Uh, Milan, Milan, who have won the European Cup seven times and currently can't qualify huge uh, beneficiary you know Liverpool can't qualify have won it five times um, a beneficiary um, that's that is a really interesting move it's it's not just the fact that they have so, so that's one that's one part of it but the other thing that they've done which makes it important is that they've changed the way the money is allocated so currently you have a situation where each of the individual markets, um, each of the individual countries, I should say, I shouldn't say markets, but each of the individual countries strikes a domestic TV deal. So in the case of England, uh, it's, you know, a billion. For the Champions from, from League BT Sports, For the Champions yeah, League yeah. rights, exactly. In their country, yeah. um, And what happens then is that the clubs from that country who are in the Champions League split 40% of their domestic TV deal between themselves. The other 60% goes to UEFA and is then distributed. And previously it was distributed according to your performance in the competition. However, uh, they've changed the system now so that instead of splitting 40% of your country's TV rights, say, say, taking the English example, Leicester, Spurs, Arsenal, and... Man City. Man City split, would, would be splitting 40% of all that massive BT pot. And bear in mind, the BT pot is almost 50% of the total across <laughs> Europe. So it's a, huge, it's a huge sum that they would get. What, the, what they're getting now is 15%. The, the clubs split 15% of the domestic TV deal. The other 85% goes to UEFA and it's then distributed. But rather than being uh, distributed based on your performance in this season's competition, it's distributed based on your coefficient. So you and so that's where that's where it suddenly comes in. Your coefficient means as we've been saying it's now is now boosted by past success. Have you been a big club then you're still then you still deserve more of the pie than, you know, if Milan were in the competition they would be you know, getting a much bigger slice than Leicester. And if you're a current big club that has previously been a big club, you're Real Madrid of this world, I'd imagine your coefficients are going to be pretty high. You're going to be getting a lot of cash there. You're going to be getting a lot of cash. Um, and it's the same, you know, for the for the English teams. Um, it's almost makes it worth their while playing in this competition, um, uh, particularly if they've won a few European Cups in the past. So it really is quite unfair because it's it's basically saying clubs that used to be good are going to be given an additional advantage because they used to be good. So good luck to you if you didn't used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you better have, you know, you better have some oil wealth behind you. Um, which I suppose is, is 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 the kind of situation for most of the clubs that managed to come up and, and challenge this existing order 
under the current system, so it's going to be even harder to do that. We'll have Gabriele Marcotti on to delve into all of that, into the current state of Europe's flagship competition in a little bit, right after, indeed, today's report on sport. So Dundalk, we should mention first, are in uh, Alkmaar uh, tonight, and that match is on Air Sport, if you're one of the... Lucky people who Lucky few. Has I had it ripped away from me again, uh, as did you, a Virgin Media subscriber. So, so, it's so, totally so annoying. So annoying. It's so annoying. But uh, it's on air sport. How much anyway. money does somebody have to spend in this country just to be able to watch sport? It's on how, many, f- how many packages do I have to buy? How many things do I have to, How many strings do I have to pull <laughs> I know. to try to watch a bloody Europa League match? I was paying for everything. I was, I was, I was paying for I was like, it okay, all. this seems expensive, but, you know, at least I can watch everything. Well, bar all the extra pay-per-view events that you have to pay for. Yeah. You, oh. do, you, don't, even, you don't even have to pay for Dundalk. It's on free-to-air air. Uh, as long as you've got that, you can watch it. Don't have it. Um, so they are... Um, uh, they were being... Obviously, the, the match they would have been involved in had they qualified for the Champions League was Legia v Dortmund, which turned out pretty ugly for Legia, mm. uh, as we as we were already discussing. Um, Ronan Finn has some uh, quotes, basically to just say, we all watch Champions League football on Tuesday and Wednesday. To, to be there would just be surreal. We would have been playing against world-class opposition, full internationals, World Cup winners. Um, and he mentioned also, you know, the people who don't usually watch um, basically Irish football watch it says you work hard to put yourself in a position it's brilliant because the media everybody the country suddenly takes notice everybody will tune in people who don't really watch League of Ireland but who watch European football you're representing Ireland they will take notice so you want to put on a good display it seems as though Dundalk's aim basically is to do better than Sean Rovers did five years ago when they qualified for this competition and lost all six matches um, that's not what they want to do yeah well they've got an easier group don't they I mean well, Rovers had Spurs for starters, which was <laughs> was always going to be tricky enough. So you would hope that Dundalk also and they, you know, based on their European performances up until now, I don't see why they can't get some results. Yeah, I mean, pick it's, up, it's pick, up, pick up a point here or there, maybe a historic win somewhere along the line. There wasn't a there. There definitely wasn't a big gap between them and uh, Legia Warsaw. Now we can say that Legia Warsaw are not among the elite teams in the Champions League. Uh, and if they had been in, a, in in that sort of group, you know, if they had been up against a team like Dortmund, probably they wouldn't have got many points in the group. Um, but, you know, simply being there, I mean, you have to you have to sort of get into that level at some stage. I mean, Bate Borisov are, are a good example. They beat Bate Borisov. Bate Borisov have got a reasonable history in this competition. You know, they've won home games against some decent sides. Um, Dundalk's group is Zenit, uh, Azed, Ogmar, they're playing tonight in uh, Maccabi Tel Aviv so it is a bit easier I guess than the one Shamrock Rovers have Tri- but still not, yeah. not exactly easy yeah no and tricky trips you know the point was made at the time not exactly ideal glamour ties over in England or whatever it might be you're, you're going to awkward spots to try to pick up results and not necessarily the shortest trips for supporters and the club and all that but that's, that's all part of it Europe's a big continent again it's a big uh, big old landmass a big continent with big gaps uh, big gaps between Rich and Pearl like we've been talking about but mm-hmm. Don't tell that to Roy Keane. Go on. As far as Roy Keane is concerned, it's 11 against 11. Pitch the same size. There's only one ball. Um, and uh, on ITV last night, another channel we used to have, but don't. What's happening in this? <laughs> <laughs> what is going on I here? I watch Roy Keane on Virgin Media either. Oh, Christ. 
Anyway, uh, he was on. Uh, he he was on, and and the quotes are, are interesting enough. He says, "Well, I." He says, I know it's difficult after a game. If you have an off night in Barcelona, you're in big trouble. But on the one hand, we're being told Celtic are a great club, great traditions, great history. They can only lose 7-0 to Barcelona. And people almost say, well, these things happen. It's acceptable. All I hear when people talk about Celtic is winning the league, but they need to do a lot better in Europe. Um, but even, you know, it's, it's easier said than done, of course. But even in the qualifying games, they were poor. They scraped through and didn't win any of the away games. The whole mindset has to change, particularly away from home, being the whipping boys of Europe. It's a huge club. They need to do a lot better. And even when they qualified for this group, the celebrations were way over the top. They scraped through, and I thought they'd actually won the competition. People were hugging each other. The manager, coaches, players. They should be expecting to do well. Uh, mm. They've got to change the mindset. I'm on about the qualifying games when they were scraping through, then celebrating like they'd won the bloody thing. Um, I saw a clip of him talking in the voiceover over Iniesta's unbelievable goal. Um. <laughs> this is the volley. Yes, yeah, off the bench similar to the, to, the, to the Benson goal against Legia. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's saying, it's, it's not altering him, it's Celtic, uh, which was which was keen. That wasn't the embarrassing goal, though. I would have thought the more embarrassing one was the early oh, Messi and Neymar playing. The sort of one, too, is that obviously they can play uh, and have an intuitive understanding with each other, but also the kind of play that you normally see later on in games when Barcelona have broken teams down and mm. gotten them tired and dragged them out of position. Yeah. shouldn't really be a first half goal that no, kind of it's it, sh- it shouldn't and it was like have you ever seen one of those videos where like um, a, a, a team a professional team or a couple of players from a take on like a bunch of kids <laughs> yeah. you know like and there's like 75 children play against Xabi Alonso and Arturo Vidal or something <laughs> like this um, it was similar it was similar to that with this with the size disparity uh, reversed it was like two really talented children beat a bunch of <laughs> beat a bunch of grown men, um, and walked the ball into the net. You know, oh god! But look, yeah, the Sun of South Celtic were the only team to get stomped on by uh, by a better team. I saw a clip recently of Zinedine Zidane playing indoor football while he was still. You, you, you can always tell by the hairline on Zidane; he was still actively playing professional football at this point, and he's playing five aside with his mates. It looks like. And taking it quite seriously, yeah. So just hold, but just his strength, obviously, holding lads, holding lads off. Uh, a lot of a lot of little dragbacks and Zidane kind of controlling the ball under his foot, as everyone tries to do playing indoor soccer anyway. But yeah. when you actually do it professionally at the very at the very <laughs> highest level, yeah, it's quite entertaining watching Zidane getting getting really into it and banging in a few goals. Um, so it's a little bit like that. Although he didn't have a partner in crime there, it wasn't like he was playing with you know. Jork AF or something in the two of them are one twoing around the place. Uh, Jonathan Wilson once told me that he did some he he got some journalist event, you know, some one of these kind of promotional events where Zinedine Zidane was there and they were challenged to do it like dribbling course. Mm. Uh I think that he said he completed the dribbling course in twenty seven seconds. Who, uh, Jonathan Wilson did. How long do you think it took Zidane? Ten? It's like seven seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's it's hard to say how just how comical that disparity was without you know seeing seeing what happened but if it only took him seven seconds it couldn't really have been that long no uh, but you know that's that's the down he was a he was a quality player not everyone is is that good no jonathan wilson isn't that good apparently um i'd like to see zidane attempt to you know a magisterial uh, social and footballing history of argentina yeah like that, that book has just arrived in this week i'd like to see angels of 30 try places. To write that one we'll be talking to jonathan about that i'm sure uh, absolutely uh so who else is getting pasted uh obviously uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach. um 
but they were really carrying... This game was all about the relations between club and fans and competition. So the game was called off because of torrential rain. Is this because of global warming? Um, probably. Uh, I mean, apparently it was like the hottest day in... It was the hottest day in England since 1911 uh, in, in one part of England. Then in Manchester, they had such a massive rainstorm they had to, had to call off the game entirely. Um, Borussia Mönchengladbach, obviously they've travelled they've a long way over from uh, Western Germany. Um, so they really were sucking up to their fans over this one, which was strange because it's kind of like it's sort of an act of God. It's not, it's not really your fault. I mean, it, maybe it is your fault with the whole Volkswagen thing. Maybe there is a certain collective guilt <laughs> uh, with the with the. You're from the rural region, which is a part of uh, part of Germany that's has got a lot of emissions over the years. So maybe there is some some ele element of, of ancestral uh, guilt there. But, you know, if it rains and the match is called off, it's not your fault. However, the club really went on a PR blitz, um, handing out uh, for, for all, on all the seats, uh, all of the fans, the Munch and Gladbach fans who got there, um, found a little sick note from the club. Like, a, like the club has, has done a cutesy sick note, saying, please, uh, we would like you to, you know, as, as though it was written by a doctor, please excuse uh, your employee... Uh. Um, who can't make it into work today you know it has to take a day off really sorry but you know promise it'll only be one day or whatever and I thought is this normal in Germany do you, do you actually have to do this I mean if 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 getting a day off work because you're sick is this complicated and requires this much documentation then the, maybe actually it's no wonder that the um, that the Gladbach CEO went into the stand and greeted every Every fan who had turned up for the game the next day, personally, saying, thanks, thanks a bunch. Thanks a bunch for supporting us. We know it's, it's not easy. We, um, you know, getting, getting time off work and all that kind of stuff. He sounds like a bit of a Niall Quinn figure. Oh, absolutely. Remember, remember Niall Quinn, there, wasn't there a flight cancelled from Sunderland back to somewhere, from somewhere back to Sunderland? Swansea or somewhere like that. And he Some, said, listen. Somewhere very far away. Grab a, grab a cab, it's all on me. And doles out a few grand to get them all home. Um, well, so, the club did, I, I guess. So, I mean... Uh, what a what a wonderful gesture of respect uh, from Max Abril um, of Mönchengladbach. A pity that the team then got stomped on brutally by and you know a merciless Manchester City, who were in no mood to to look kindly on them, uh, no no mood to to grant them any favors. And Pep Guardiola reflecting the ruthlessness of his team, looking around at the stadium which wasn't full listening to the fans boo the Champions League anthem as they always do now at Manchester City because they've got this grievance against UEFA, and then slamming his own fans. One, for not turning up in sufficient numbers, and two, for booing the anthem. I thought, Pep, to be fair, the game did get postponed 24 hours. Yeah. You know, obviously, the, the Man City Man City is the heartbeat of the local community there, uh, and a lot of them are coming from local areas, but maybe some people have jobs or are coming from slightly further afield, uh, and a little bit more understanding um, might have been... Uh, might have been the right note to strike, you know, given, given the, the empty seats on this occasion. McCordiola says, I wasn't here for what happened before, but they must forget what happened in the past. We're here to create history for people to talk about our club. All we can do is play every time better than before. So people say, wow, I spent 90 minutes there and had fun. Next time, I will be there. Today, the stadium was not completely full. The only thing we can do is play better. Um, he says, uh, our fans have to know we need them in the Champions League. Our players deserve the stadium completely full. Hopefully against Barcelona Celtic, it is going to happen. I'm sure it will. 
against those two teams. Yeah. For, it seems like strange reasons. timing, though, doesn't it? You know, it's... You've kind of picked the wrong time to call out the fans there, really, Pep. Pep is focused on the game. You know, what did he... He said something like... <laughs> he said... Uh, before the game, he said something like, oh, um, no, the, the postponement didn't matter to us. We were at home sleeping with our wives. Yeah. Uh... You know, he he was okay with the postponement. It didn't really affect his schedule, I guess. But maybe other people had to juggle things around a little bit. Manchester City not being their employer. Uh, so, so I don't know. Yeah. But there you go. Leicester obviously won. Mares finally hitting a bit of form. Scored a beautiful free kick. Uh, and a penalty. Uh, Ranieri saying maybe he, uh, maybe the music, the Champions League music woke him up. He's tired of dilly ding, dilly dong. I liked his performance. Um, so they won. Uh, but it's it's kind of, uh, you know, obviously Bruges, not a great side, but a good good start for Leicester. Some particularly harsh co-commentary from Ray, Ray Outen, I thought, on the uh, free kick, Mars's free kick. Mm-hmm. He reckoned the keeper should have saved it because it was on the keeper's side. Yeah, but sometimes, I mean, he yeah, it was whipped it in. right in the top C- corner. Completely. I, I thought it was bizarre. Keepers really get a raw deal from commentators over any free kick that goes in. Usually the complaint is, oh, they've gone and taken two steps to the left there when the ball's gone into the right, uh, which is like a common complaint. And I always think, well, I presume there's a reason the goalkeeper's doing this. They've obviously anticipated something and got it wrong. But in this case, he anticipated correctly, dove with quite a bit of athleticism and just couldn't reach this thunderbolt that was whipped into the, near enough the top corner, certainly into one side of the net. Yeah, and, and you don't you don't expect it. It's a surprise. I mean, I thought the best surprise free kick actually was Cristiano Ronaldo. Oh, yeah. That was brilliant. Um, it's amazing what you can do when you don't hit the ball as hard as you possibly can. <laughs> Ronaldo uh, just floating this curling free kick in off the post. It looked like a normal free kick. Yeah. But, I mean, an, an, an exceptional normal free kick. Mm. I mean, it's a long way out. And, you know, he does the stance, the sort of power stance, the wide leg. Everyone is thinking, oh, we know what's going to happen here. It's, it's amazing. Ronaldo is actually the top scorer in the Champions League from free kicks. Really? He scored 12. All right. Which so it's is just at the international level, it seems to be really. No, no. It's just he takes so many free kicks. Really? <laughs> he's just taken so many that he just has the reputation of being awful at them. But actually, you know, as in, in absolute terms, he's the greatest ever. It's just that uh, there have been so many... So many blasted into the stand that uh, you kind of you can forget it. But if this means that he's going to maybe adopt a, a more varied approach, I, I mean, I hope it does because it's you know I suppose he did have the element of surprise on his side because everybody assumed he was just going to do what he always does, which is trash the ball as hard as he can and probably miss the goal entirely or hit the wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on this occasion, the goalkeeper was just not accept not expecting that curling shot into the top corner. Uh, a brilliant goal by him. He. You know, he had lots of respectful things to say about his his team, who made him sporting this. Oh yes, yes, he certainly he refused to celebrate. Just raised his arms, but not in a sort of it's kind of in it. My bad, my bad sort of way. You know, um, so that was it. Uh, what's what's going on elsewhere? Manchester United are playing tonight in the Europa League. Uh, Phil Jones is out of the game for Phil Jones, which is sad. Can't watch it anyway. So he's hurt his uh he's hurt his ligaments uh, in his knee immediate ligament or lateral ligaments one of the one of the other part and he's out for about a month i'm sure they'll have another europa league game at some stage roy Keane, is i mentioned him again he um he's dissed jose Mourinho a little bit all right 
Does Roy Keane usually wear glasses? He was wearing he was wearing glasses. He sometimes does when he's okay. when he's um, analyzing not, football on television. So it's not it's but he wears them for an entire episode as opposed to the Eamon Dunphy use of the glasses, which is when something's getting really serious and he's got his dossier. Yeah. And then just sticks on a pair of glasses. Puts them just on the tip of his nose and, and looks over them. You know it's serious at that point. No, Keane, Keane wears the glasses and looks straight through them uh, with burning <laughs> intensity. But he talked about the two, you know, Guardiola and Mourinho came up and he, and he uh, slighted Mourinho. Uh, uh, to, well, basically, he praised Guardiola. Uh, he doesn't look like he messes about. I wouldn't like to mess with him. Uh, Keane says of Pep. Of course, Keane would have messed with Guardiola if he'd been the manager. I mean, Keane spent a lot of his career at Manchester United, certainly in the latter days, messing with Alex Ferguson, <laughs> who also wasn't, a, you know, a former Glaswegian pub landlord, you know, who, who's famous for his godfather model of management. Um, yeah. So I'm sure if it wouldn't have all been plain sailing. I don't think Pep would have phased with Keane in that Pep. sense. Two coaches in Manchester. Mourinho reckons he's a special one. To me, this guy is. So, cutting stuff. Uh, it's interesting, actually, just to see the online reaction from a lot of Manchester United fans. Uh, what What do you think it is? Well, vitriolic towards Roy Keane. <laughs> yeah. It's just amazing, isn't it? I mean, the thing is that to Keane, the memories are still vivid. You know, the idea that someone could question his ultimate, you know, what he's done for that club. The idea that people could question his his views on the club. Uh, you know, probably he, he doesn't even conceive of that. But a lot of people on the internet don't remember him playing for Manchester United. <laughs> or if they do, they also managed to get turned by Ferguson. Yeah. You know, Ferguson turned fans against him. There's no doubt about that. Well, that's true. You know, Roy Keane did become an outcast and, and railed from the wilderness against the club and sometimes seemed to be a little spiteful, maybe, in his in his criticism of the club. And people, you know, people change sides. Or, or maybe people can say, well, he's changed sides. It's sad, you know, when it's one of your... One he, of the great ones one of us. flips like he's like he's done, but not a lot of uh, not a lot of time for for uh, Kino saying just uh, just on Mourinho. Yeah. his commitment to the Europa League is is hilarious. He his comments are just so disparaging. Uh, this is not a competition that Manchester United wants. It's not a competition I want. It is not a competition the players want. It is a competition where we are. That is the reality. <laughs> Tomorrow is an important match for us. We must find that motivation. You know, this isn't the big dream. Um, and no, so apparently support. not. But he does say that a defeat, you know, basically we don't have an embarrassing defeat like we had against Midgilland last year. Because although the players will forget about it, the fans don't. The fans don't forget a moment like that. So there won't, there's not going to be any Midgillands. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what kind of team he picks. He picks although it's clear that uh, he almost wants to lose this uh, or at least is making it quite clear that he really doesn't care if there is another Midgilland it's something that maybe fans would be worried about but professionals at the club not really so much and so ends today's edition of Ken's Report on Sport what, you, what are you saying? you're just a phony man this is just what happened I admit I don't look like the athlete of the day supposed to look this ain't wrestling this ain't the WWE baby my belt is just a little big just a little big. This is just an act that you're doing. You should be an actor. But brother, I am bad and they know I'm bad. I'll never do that. There were two bad people. One was John Wayne and he's dead, brother. And the other was right here. You can, you can run around like you a preacher and all that you want, but baby, I promise you, I will baptize you. I don't this, man. You can't teach that.
Yeah. All right, a few, uh, it's safe to say, a few lopsided games in the Champions League over the last couple of days. Barcelona 7, Celtic 0, Dortmund 6, Legia, Legia Warsaw 0. I think it was an away game as well, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. uh, Bayern 5, Rostov 0, City 4 0 winners, even Leicester uh, won 3 0 away. Bruges, Gabriele Marcotti, is there something not right about all this? How do you mean? Well, all these one-sided, ridiculously one-sided games where much bigger clubs just go to town on uh, on lesser opposition in a way that you don't, you, you wouldn't hope to see when when you're watching the cream of Europeans of European football face off against each other. I don't know. Did you did did you? I don't know if you're old enough, but do you remember what it was like before the Champions League started? I do. I'm. I'm I thank you for your kind words, Gabriel. I'm just about old enough. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I think if you go back, you'll see a lot of one-sided games with with you know champions of big leagues going and beating up teams from Luxembourg and and, and Cyprus. And yeah, stuff but Cel- like that. Celtic, Celtic, Gab, for instance, are are a Champions League winning team, a European Cup winning team. They you know they've never lost seven 0 No team that's won the champion, no, no team that's won the trophy has ever lost by that kind of margin in the history of European football. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm guessing to, 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 to some degree there's obviously an issue with, with polarization. Um, also, you know, no Celtic side before this year had ever been managed by Brendan Rodgers either, if you really want to go there. But, um, you know, the, the Barcelona right now are one of the greatest teams in history. Uh, but, but I think, you know, the... As much as, and people always seem to forget this, but I think as much as the um, the financial polarization, which is something that can be addressed, uh, I think what's what's contributed to this is probably also the the Bosman ruling um, and and the lifting of limits on foreigners. Um, what it does is that you know the, the, there's only so many really outstanding players in the world, and beyond that, you've got you know tons of very good players. And what this means is that. Uh, Barcelona can can assemble a team that's the, the you know Barcelona like Bayern like City like the other big European sides that you know they can they can hoard talent to a degree that that's never happened before. I mean, you want to play this game, you go look at you know your top five or six teams in Europe, um, and uh, you know imagine there's only there's only three foreigners on them. And then figure out how you're going to replace them. Of course, they they did go and buy other domestic players, and there's a lot of good Spanish players out there. But you know, in Barcelona's case, they would be nowhere near where they are, are where they are today. And I think that also is is a big issue and one that everybody seems to forget about when they talk about polarization. Do you think it affects interest in the competition? I mean, I, I know from a personal point of view, I find some of these matches a struggle to sit through. Um, you know, the Champions League throws up good matches, but they're always they're increasingly just in the semi-finals, and those are usually just, you know three. We all know three of the clubs that are in, and there's there's, there's another team that that has to get there mathematically. But um, the quality of the football and the competition is less than compelling. I, I don't know what you mean by quality of the football. I mean, I, I just the, don't, the, quali- I, the quality of the I mean, the, the quality of the contests. Like, the quality the quality of the contests really is what I'm talking about. I mean, there's, there's obviously some amazing football being played by some amazing players, but they're all playing for Barcelona or, you know, Real Madrid. I don't know. I mean, I thought I thought Leicester were pretty good last night. Um, you know, it, it look look at Monaco. Monaco beat the team that finished third in the Premier League last year, right? Um, away from home, 
at Wembley. They are a uh, Russian yeah. oligarch-funded team. But they're not really. I mean, you know, they're more of a team that's funded in different ways. But but again, but again, I mean, if you if you look at if you look at Monaco, would you you wouldn't put them among the you know among the European elite? You wouldn't put them in the top six or even top ten. Um, I, I you know I. I think this narrative has taken hold, and, and I think the reality is, yeah, there are some really, really outstanding teams, and uh, and they have an enormous financial advantage. But this idea for thinking that you know back in the day every game was exciting and it was three two and whatever else, I that, that's simply not that's simply not accurate. Um, and and I also think you know you said there's no good games until the semifinals. I don't know. I mean. Juventus against Bayern Munich last year. That was a round of 16 game. Uh, that was pretty darn good. Uh, Atletico Madrid against Barcelona. That was a quarterfinal game. And by the way, Barcelona, one of those teams that supposedly always reaches the semifinals, uh, they lost in the quarterfinal um, to a team that does not have an enormous budget relative to the really big boys. So, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how much, you know, going back, people remember outstanding when we, when we think back to the old European Cup, most of the great games we remember are from the, the quarterfinals onwards, or if not from the round of 16 onwards. Now all you have is sort of extra games earlier in the competition, and while some may be one-sided, a lot of them aren't. Yeah, but is there an issue here, Gab, that this is going to go further in the direction that it, it's going at the moment? The coefficients have been rearranged now for next season, previous Champions League victories for the likes of AC Milan and Ajax and these kind of teams are going to suddenly count, for, be, be weighed a lot more heavily than they have been so far. I think that's maybe where the narrative is coming from. We're seeing one side of results and it looks as though uh, it's, it's going to continue. There's, there's no way that cap is, that cap is going to be widened, if anything. Yeah, so I think that is is a more, I mean, I think that's a more pertinent question. Um and by the way, it's not just me and Ajax who would be favored that way. I, I, I'm sure Nottingham Forest, when they <laughs> qualify for the Champions League next, will also they'd, they'd be delighted. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, Aston, uh, Aston Villa win it. Mm. Yeah, Aston Villa will be delighted when they get back up to the to the top exactly. of the tree. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I think, um, look, I, I think that's a bad, that's a valid point. I think it's not just. I think it's bad for the competition, and I think it's uh, it's unfair. Uh, I know why they did it. They, they obviously they make the argument that. You know, it'll make the competition more financially attractive because the teams that, you know, those extra teams will come from countries that have big, uh, valuable Champions League contracts. Um, you know, Serie A are the obvious beneficiaries, uh, and uh, Serie A deal is the second big, or sorry, Serie A deal, but the, the Italian Champions League contract is the second biggest after after the UK and Ireland. So. Um, so that's why they're doing this. It's purely about money. It's distinctly unfair. It's not good for the competition. Um, they were forced into this because certain clubs simply threatened to break away. I mean, I think that's that's kind of the, the crux of what we're talking about now. Um, is this sport as we understand it with, with you know some sort of social element, some idea that everybody goes in, or is it more you know a part of sort of the nexus of, of business, media, and entertainment. Um, certainly the people who own the big football clubs who want to return on their investment, uh, they've, they're pushing it in that direction. And I think uh, it, it's important that the people, the people are aware of this and, and that people fight back. 
Yeah, Martin Samuel had an interesting piece on this, uh, Gavin, the Daily Mail. He actually blames your near namesake. Uh, he points the finger at Giorgio Marchetti, uh, <laughs> UEFA's director of club competitions, who, like you, is a Milanese boy. Um, Martin Samuel believes that Giorgio Marchetti, uh, who is from Milan, um, who was educated in Milan, who supports Milan, has uh, helped to create this new order uh, to help out Milan, basically, that that the the big winners from this are clubs like AC Milan and Inter, who have you know fallen from grace and so on and so forth, yet who have um, proud histories and have managed to leverage that into a financial advantage in the, in the present day. What I wonder is: is there any is there any reasonable justification for this? Is there is there because it's so it seems so anti meritocratic and so kind of like a naked nakedly cynical cash grab by these you know, once mighty, uh, now ailing sort of giant clubs. Is there actually any good reason for doing this at all? Look, uh, all right, so first of all, on the specific, um, and, you know, full disclosure, I, I know Giorgio Marchetti, Marchetti, and I've known him for a long time. He's a little man with glasses who, who works who works for UEFA, and you would have seen him on screen during the draws. He didn't decide this, okay? He, uh, UEFA's executive committee approved this. There was a, there was a group of people, uh, including I think as Martin mentions, uh, you know David Gill and um, and and, and uh, Fernando Gomes and, and and people like that, Michael van Prague, who were on this committee, and they had to negotiate with the clubs. Um, basically, as I wrote myself when I first broke the story in about a month ago, um, but nobody kind of seemed interested in it. Um, they the, the certain big European clubs basically said, if you don't reform this in a way that it'll make more money and in a way that suits us, um, we're going to we're going to boycott the Champions League. And then when the memorandum of understanding is over in 2018, um, we may well go off and form our own competition. And we want more concessions. We want Champions League games on weekends to make more money. And we want automatic entry for, for, for historical success. So this whole thing with the, you know, with, the, with the 16 guaranteed places for the top four leagues um, and, and with the historical coefficients, this is a compromise. UEFA, some of these UEFA guys actually pat themselves on the back and saying, oh, wow, look, you know, we, we, we were able to preserve some level of, 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 of merit in this. Um, that, that's the reality of the situation. Uh, you know, it wasn't Giorgio Marchetti who voted on this because he doesn't get a vote. It, it was the people on the executive committee, and you can go and see who they are. And they will tell you that they had no choice but to do this. Now, you can believe that, you know, David Gill somehow, because of Manchester United or whatever, was part of some some, some, some evil conspiracy, although I don't think United needs that much more help in making money. Um, and by the way, United like AC Milan, like Inter Milan, wouldn't be affected by this because, of course, they need to actually qualify for the Champions League to benefit from this. And that means finishing in the top four, which is not something any of these clubs uh, have done last year. But, you know, that's the reality of it. People don't realize the degree to which the big clubs went and threatened and were ready to boycott and walk out. And they don't realize it because the clubs don't tell them. You know, the clubs are like, oh, no, 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 we love the Champions League in its current format. No, it's just about making more money, and then we can redistrib redistribute more money. That's what they all say. And, you know, 
again, you can blame the executive committee for giving in on this. The people in the executive committee are voted on by the 55 FAs that are members of Europe. If we feel strongly enough about this, who's the head of the Irish, Irish FAs? It's, it's Delaney? Yeah, John Delaney, yeah. yeah. Okay, so you go to Delaney. Listen, once you found your shoes, go out there, and the next time, just say no. Say no to this. Make a big stink about it. I realize Ireland, you know, you guys aren't going to be affected for this. Maybe one day you will because your champions don't often qualify for the champions. Ah, we were, but, we were only know, a goal away from being slaughtered exactly. 6-0 by Dortmund uh, last night. Well, you know, a, this, is, this is the reality of it. These people have to, the smallest nations, of all nations, need to stand up and put pressure, and there has to be some public, you know, naming and shaming of the clubs who drove this, and, and I think we know who they are. And at the same time, you need to go to Delaney and say, Delaney, listen, next time you go and vote, for, for, for to elect people to the executive committee, make them sign a pledge that they're going to go to war over this and they're going to change it back to something more sensible, okay? And campaign for it with, with the heads of the other FAs because the reality is there's more small FAs and there are bigger FAs. And only elect a president. You know, it was a UEFA election for a new president yesterday between um, Alexander Seferin and Michael Van Prague. Make him pledge, I will only vote for a president who who goes and 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 look and, and and doesn't allow stuff like this to happen make him do that on a local level that's the only way you're going to go and get change because until that happens these guys hey, the, the big clubs have uefa over a barrel mm. there, there's not much they can do to fight back until there's real public will to go and do something about it there's all this theoretical stuff that they could do um fifa for example could could ban um, FIFA could ban players who play in a breakaway European Super League, right? If, if FIFA came out tomorrow and said, listen, if you break away from the, from the Champions League, then all your guys will be banned from the World Cup and FIFA competitions, right? They're free to do that if they wanted to, but there has to be the political will there. And the reality is, and it pains me to say this, I think most people are fans of big clubs and they don't care, or at least that's the, that's the perception I think we in the media need to do a better job of, of highlighting what's going on. We need to be less afraid of the big people at the big clubs. Um, but until that happens, you know, UEFA aren't going to be able to stop it. Yeah, well, I don't know. Delaney had a very good relationship with Platini. I'm not sure how he gets on with these boys now, but uh, he... Pre- well, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you this much yeah. about, about, about Platini. Um, for all his many, many ills, I guarantee you, if Platini had been, if, well, first of all, if UEFA had a president when this deal was negotiated, which of course they didn't, uh, they only had an interim uh, secretary general, but if Platini had been in charge, this would have never happened because he would have made such an absolute stink, he would have cajoled, he would have persuaded, he would have been in your face every single day. He had the clout and he had the mandate to do it, and this would have been kicked down the road for another three years at least. There's no question in my mind uh, that that would have happened. Um, but yeah, if we feel strongly enough about this, let's put pressure on the people who represent uh, people who represent us to go and do something about it. Why do you think nobody cared when you uh, put the story out? Um, Gab, it seems like a pretty pretty good scoop. Um, I don't know. It was in, it was in the Times. It was on ESPN. I mean, I look, people. I mean, I think you know some people cared, um, but I, I also think that you know the mainstream media. Uh, sometimes they don't necessarily have, you know, there isn't that much joined up thinking, right? Mm. 
and and I think there's also a bit of an unwillingness to to to, to upset to upset the apple cart. You know, we had the same thing. We had there's an organization called the EPF, EPFL, which is the European Professional Football Leagues, yeah. which is sort of you know the, the Premier League and then Serie A and the Bundesliga and so on. And you know, they came out with a statement last week in Amsterdam and. You know, nobody noticed. There was a tree falling in the forest. Um, and nobody notices because I actually think there's a lot of people who say they care, but they're not really willing to do to do anything about it. Um, a lot of people are either fans of big clubs who would benefit or they're just so passive, right? I mean, look, imagine you're like a 15-year-old kid, and it's probably a few years ago that you guys were 15. You know, you're a 15-year-old kid in, in Belgium. And, you know, let's say that Bruges is your local club. You read the story, you know it's going to hurt Bruges, but you know what? Manchester City or Real Madrid are on the TV every single week. They're on YouTube. You follow them on Facebook. You really like Cristiano Ronaldo um, and, uh, and you know, David Silva or whatever. At some point, you're going to be like, you know what? Do I go and make a stink about this so that Bruges can benefit? Or do I just go and, you know, join the rest of the sheep and and watch, you know, these big clubs with big star players I care about on television? And this will be good for them. So, you know, I, I think that's the conundrum that that the game needs to address. And, and I hope, you know, Alexander Seferin, our new president, um, uh, addresses this and, you know, at least tells us what direction we're heading in. Yeah, loads to think about there, I think. Uh, Gabriella McCarty, brilliant as always. Thanks a million. My pleasure. Take care. He's just a crying big baby. But you cannot call it a player a baby. Coach! Coach! against them in the premiership and we never said they are baby. He's just a crying big baby and you cannot call him a player a baby. Well, there you go, kind of call to arms for media, fans, administrators. Yeah. People need to start caring more about this. Delaney. Um, you should go up to Abbottstown and buttonhole John Delaney. Delaney, listen. I don't know. At least he's, I think he, I'm pretty sure John Delaney was supporting the man who did become UEFA for president. So hopefully the. Yeah, well, he was good mates. Off to see the Queen tomorrow too, don't forget. Off to that. see the Queen. And he also was ha- parading, I remember parading Platini around Dublin. Parading Platini, I was slightly exaggerating there. Bringing Platini to Dublin and uh, having a grand old time. He uh, definitely had that, he definitely had a good relationship there, but uh, that's not particularly relevant now to the future of European football. Poor old Michel. Um, clubs no. use this is one of the uh, details Gabrielli had in, in one of those pieces he talked about clubs use their leverage including the threat of a walkout to push through this restructure in truth they wanted even more Champions League games on weekends 
matches played around the world from Asia to North America, wildcard entries for big clubs who failed to qualify via their domestic competitions. All these options are on the table, backed up by the threat of boycott. You would have to ask what's in it for the uh, English clubs. Why should they reschedule the round of Premier League matches yeah. to play in some, you know, to play against some European team? I mean, that sounds like, you know, almost 1950s-style arrogance or isolationism, but it's not. It's, it's actually just kind of greed talking. You know, if the Premier League is, is worth more, then it becomes the priority. Yeah, it strikes me that, and we've more than touched on it there, we've gone into it, it's really the Italian clubs who have done well out of this and will be doing well out of any of that. I mean, they're, the stock of Serie A has dropped so much, mm. and yet now they have as many Champions League teams as the Premier League does. Uh, so I know people are going to argue straight away and say, oh, look, Juventus are Juventus strong the final. And, and all this kind of stuff. But I, I mean, in terms of the power of their leagues. Mm. and the Juventus, Juventus are playing in a different league. That's Andrea Pirlo said yeah. a couple of days ago. It's, it's a different league. Everyone else is just sort of, it's just a league for second place. That was Pirlo, you know, a former Juventus and Milan and Inter yeah. player. So, yeah, I'm not necessarily trying to argue. Of course, the Premier League clubs maybe aren't as successful in Europe as they should be, but... They're still quite successful, and also their own league is a money. To win the machine. Premier League, it's a war on nutrition. <laughs> Who was that? Giggsy. To win the Premier League, it's a war on nutrition. A war of nutrition. I didn't hear. It. I haven't heard this before. No. Give it to me one more time, sir. To win the Premier League, it's a war on nutrition. A war of nutrition. I must have missed that. Was I away? Yeah, it was. Well, it was a few weeks back. Oh. You have to eat right. It is a war of nutrition. He might have meant that. You will. You will get out there. I think he said it twice in the slot, actually. But he. Uh, <laughs> was yeah. this was this in his super relaxed mode on Friday night football? Was it? I can't remember what, yeah. which when they were talking it? about pin up who who had who as a pin up and so forth. Strange conversation. <laughs> he was he was doing a bit of doing a bit of analysis. Speaking of, of analysis, actually, and and Italy, yeah. I don't know if you saw the story about Paolo Di Canio. No, I like Di Canio stories. Paolo Di Canio was working as a TV pundit on Sky Italia, mm-hmm. uh, but then he turned up wearing a polo shirt. Nothing wrong with that, real. You know, not exactly in the best taste as far as Italian Italian TV is concerned. But you know, if you want to wear a polo shirt, fine. Uh, De Canio, uh, obviously, still in decent shape, mm-hmm. uh, nicely muscled, shapely arms. Unfortunately, covered in fascist tattoos. Right. Uh, the offending, the particular uh, fascist oh, no. tattoo uh, that that uh, that was visible in the in this short sleeved garment was the ducks. D-U-X written on his right bicep. Ducks being Latin for, uh, well, leader, Duce, what Mussolini used to used to call himself. Um, and he was, and, and this caused annoyance among viewers. Oh, how dare he flesh that thing in my face. And uh, he's been suspended by Sky Italia and they said they're going to get rid of him. But I thought, this is, this is just completely stupid. It's like, Paolo Di Canio is a known, confirmed, tattooed fascist he has got a tattoo of benito mussolini's head on his back he has got a th- does he a, yeah he has got a back tattoo of a of an enormous eagle a, a, a huge a ferocious uh, eagle rampant you know wings uh wings spread clutching in its talons the fasces right the sticks uh that represents you know the, the sort of symbol of fascism um and nestling in between its talons you've got Mussolini's head, yeah, Mussolini, and then underneath uh, various stuff about uh, Lazio and and what what whatnot. But you know, I think when you've got a tattoo of Mussolini's head, mm. it's kind of like you know what you're dealing with here if you're a TV producer. Yeah, and it's not as though he's kept this a secret. 
You know, Di Canio famously ran around the Olympic Stadium in Rome screaming, um, uh, you know, with this, ta- with this tattoo, this duck tattoo, clearly visible, and doing a Nazi salute. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this, is, this guy has not hidden his sympathies. Sky nevertheless employed him. I'm just, uh, I'm just puzzled by the logic here. You know, if, the t- if we can't see the tattoo, it's as though it doesn't exist. Yeah, is that what they're the saying? Views, I don't know. Come on. If you're going to give him a job, then I don't see why. You're suddenly taking it away from him now. It's all Ireland final weekend. We previewed the action with Usheen McConville and Carol Mannion and Mickey Conroy. Recently finished with Mayo, has played in a few All Ireland finals and had a lot of great stuff to say. Uh, I also read out a letter again, or an essay, I should say, from ten-year-old me. Ten-year-old you, uh, revealing my Mayo roots and the holidays that I spent in that beautiful county. And your exceptionally youth. neat handwriting. Very neat handwriting. Very what's conscientious. Happened to it couple of broken fingers and um, now I write <laughs> I write like an idiot um, I suppose you don't write much anymore either that's the other issue you get out of practice with regards to handwriting you, I've never seen you with a pen in your hand for example um, no uh, I think you told me that once a number of years ago I don't I don't own pens I don't have pens yeah I mean I don't really um, fascinating when, conversation when, that night when do you use happened. them though when do you really when do, would you actually use I've got pen? one in my hand right now but that, that was from writing in the previous podcast to uh, show yeah. you how my handwriting looks yeah that's it. Thanks very much, Ken. Thanks, Sam. You can, if you're looking for us on Twitter, it's at Second Captains. You can follow us, or you can check us out on facebook.com forward slash Second Captains. Enjoy the weekend. Thanks a million for listening. How is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 